Welcome to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. This podcast is where we explore the landscape of the immensity of landmines that exist for people who've lost their sense of identity, who've been shaken to the core, and are relearning who they are now that a part of them is lost. It's stories of how people manage this struggle, regain their footing, and the gifts they've discovered along the way. Thanks for tuning in. All right. Hi, Shuli. Hi. Hi, today we have as our guest, Shuli, say your last name for me, please. Elisheva. Elisheva. And to talk about identity loss and her identity loss catalyst is all about, tell me if I've got it wrong, but realizing that you needed to, okay, I'm completely tumbling over the words, but you're you like went through a transgender process mm-hmm. that you weren't expecting. Yeah. 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 So the way we met was in our author's uh, course. We we're in the same cohort and we ended up in some room where nobody showed up except the two of us. And we started talking. Yeah, that's right. And when I told you my topic and then you told me you, your experience that I guess you're still going through um, as far as sort of figuring out your new identity. Anyway, you can catch me up where you are. Uh-huh. And, and I was like, well, but that isn't actually an unexpected identity loss because didn't you sort of know that you weren't who you actually were? And you're like, no, I was totally caught off guard. And so I'm so excited to hear your story because we didn't have time that day. And plus, I wouldn't want to spoil my podcast interview by knowing the story ahead of time. <laughs> so yeah. did I did I capture it more or less correctly? I mean, I guess so. There's this stereotype that trans people always knew that were transgender. And I didn't know until my early 30s. In hindsight, there were signs um, along the way that perhaps I should have noticed, but I was caught completely off guard and I wasn't happy about it. You know, there's another another stereotype that trans people choose to be transgender. It's not a choice. And, And actually, I did not want to be transgender. In fact, one of the first things I did when I realized in 2018 that I might be transgender is I Googled, how do I not be transgender? (laughs) What do I do if I think I might be transgender, but I don't wanna be, how do I not be transgender? I mean, the truth is that for my whole life, I just wanted to be the nice Jewish boy that I thought everybody expected me to be, you know? So I grew a huge beard, a phenomenon. There's, it's actually a phenomenon of trans women growing huge beards when they're in denial, it's called denial beards. but I studied in a yeshiva, which is an all-male religious school in Jerusalem. And I, I thought at one point I would become a rabbi. I didn't become a rabbi. I married a rabbi. And then I was the husband of the rabbi, which was a very unusual thing. And then I became, you know, supposedly a father who changed his baby's diapers. And I was very proud of that. Um, but I felt no connection with masculinity. I just thought, you know, this is who I am. And I never would have chosen to be a man, but that's how I was born. So I better get used to it. Um, And then when I realized that I'm actually not a nice Jewish boy, I'm a nice Jewish girl, 
it was like you know like totally mind-blowing and it was really scary and really confusing and not at all something that I wanted though at this point I've been it, it's been four and a half years since I realized I might be trans and it's been about three years since I've actually accepted that I'm trans and at this point I feel like this is amazing I'm a transformer I have this amazing perspective I know what it's like on both sides of the door so to speak I've I'm so much more myself now in so many ways it's like transitioning was the best thing that I ever did in my whole life but it took me a while to to accept that it was something that I needed to do. Yeah, well, we're, let's get in blow by blow of your story and you can tell as much or as little of it as you want and mm -hmm. start wherever you want. But I wanna just, first of all, say that, so I don't know very much about this topic and or being gay or lesbian, but what I do know for sure that it's not a choice Absolutely. and because because if it were a choice we wouldn't have these high suicide rates in in those populations right i mean if it was a choice who would choose to do this it is so it is so hard and it is so scary it's so expensive i mean i turned over my entire wardrobe and <laughs> I had to go through all these medical processes that are so expensive and all these legal processes and it was i mean if you think about all the ways that were gendered by society you know all of my school records said that i'm a man and all of my you know legal documents and all of my hospital records and anytime i like signed up for a website like got on some mailing list right it said i was a man and anytime that I like got a card from a grocery store, you know, or like a credit card or something, right? Um, and, and having to undo all of that is such a huge process. Um, and especially for me, because, I mean, I think it's hard for a lot of people for a lot of reasons, but I'm also a religious Jew. And so for me, I was really struggling with a lot of the religious aspects of my gender transition. And now I'm at this point where I see my religion not only as permitting my gender transition, but sanctifying and perhaps even commanding my gender transition. And that's a whole story of how I came to this understanding. Um, and now I'm a very proud uh, Orthodox Jewish transgender woman, you know, both. But so many people have told me, no, that's impossible. And I've gotten so much harassment. You know, it's it's been a journey. And 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 you're right, if it was a choice, who would who would choose this? And and it's something that trans people say, you know, we talk about and we we mock the stereotypes and we're like, yeah, who would ever choose this? Um right. You know? Well, let me tell a really short story of my own, sort of to mm -hmm. encapsulate that. So I had this like one of the two smartest people that I was in graduate school with and she was uh, a Jewish woman and and so she had a boyfriend 
Okay. And actually they lived together. And so we went through school and graduated, went on our way. And then I, and then we ended up working somewhere together. And then later, oh, and then I found out th that she had like, oh, I asked her, so did you ever marry that guy? She said, yeah, I married him. And then I got divorced. I was like, oh, she said, I, you know, I, I'm lesbian. And I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, I didn't really have a big talk with her. Then later, I was working on the sexual assault response team at our county hospital. And I ran into her again, not there, but she had been through that, that program because she had gotten raped by a stranger. Mm -hmm. And so since she was a like social worker, and since I knew her, I was like, I just wanted to like hear about it. And so I, I asked her, so here, this is in the San Francisco Bay Area. In the late 90s, or somewhere in, yeah, somewhere in the late 90s. So this is not like yesteryear. This is this is updated place. So here she is telling me. So I so I asked her, I said, what was it like to get raped, you know, by a stranger? And I said, was it the worst thing that could ever happen to, to you, to a person? And she looked me straight in the eyes and she said, oh, no, coming out was by far worse. Uh. And since that sentence in time, I have so much respect for people who remain in the closet because for that person to tell me that, it was just mind boggling. It's like, I can't even begin to imagine how difficult it is. And, and I don't know how much of it had to do with being Jewish because I'm not Jewish and I don't know too much about being Jewish, but it doesn't really matter. It's just that that's what, you know, that was her experience as a woman. And yeah, she would not have chosen that just because she felt like, changing right <laughs> i mean you know the thing is that i always knew since i was a kid that if i could go back and like have a choice of whether to be born as a boy or a girl like obviously i would choose to be born as a girl but i thought that everybody would choose to be born as a girl like who in their right mind would ever choose to be born as a boy because girls are just obviously so much better than boys and <laughs> I, I, it's only like in the last couple of years, I'm 36 now, and it's only in the last couple of years that I've really started to realize, wait a minute, no, actually not everybody secretly wishes that they had been born as a girl, you know, but I just, you know, I can't say that I'm unhappy about being a woman because I love being a woman, but I think the reason I love being a woman so much is because I am a woman, right? You know, very often people think that gender transition makes you a different gender that before I was a man and then I became a woman that's not how I see it at all the way I see it is I've always been a woman and that's why I transitioned because imagine being a woman but every single layer of society views you as a man and treats you as a man and names you as a man it it was just really really hard and transitioning wasn't to change me into a woman it was to say wait a minute 
I am a woman and what am I doing pretending to be a man? I'm a woman, I need to live that way. And I need people to see me that way because that's who I am. But first I had to convince myself that it's really possible. I mean, I was, I was a liberal and I was, you know, an ally, but in hindsight, I was really transphobic and also really homophobic. And I knew very little about what it means to be transgender. And it turns out that almost everything I knew was all the stereotypes. And it was through this process of struggling with my gender and realizing, wait a minute, this stereotype, like, I'm not like that. And I'm not like this. And I'm not like this. And then I started to talk with other trans people. And I realized I had no idea what it meant to be transgender. It's, it's totally different from how I ever imagined it to be. In what sense? In so many ways. I mean, I always thought that it was a choice. I always thought that it was just an identity. I always thought that it was just a lifestyle thing. I think one of the biggest things for me, so a big part of my gender transition has involved what's called hormone replacement therapy. So basically I started taking estrogen supplements and progesterone supplements, and also taking a medication that would suppress my testosterone. And within a few months, I had almost completely eradicated testosterone from my body and my estrogen was at normal female levels. And it completely changed my body in like a bajillion ways. I I never knew how much hormones gender our bodies, but what was even more surprising, I mean, I guess not even more surprising, it was all surprising is what an effect that had on my health. I had been struggling with depression and anxiety for years and years, I was medicated and it was like within weeks that evaporated. And it's not just me, it's so many other trans people I've talked with. It would seem that my body needs to have female hormonal levels and not have masculine, right? The the hormonal levels that most men need was actually poisoning my body. And what most women need, well, that's what I need too. And so it's not just an identity thing, you know, there's there's some medical aspect to it as well. And I don't know what that is exactly. Scientists are doing research now and they're discovering just how complicated uh, sex and gender are, way more complex than has ever been thought before. And that's not to say that every trans person's body is is the same. We're not the same. Um, we're so diverse, but but there's some, I'm convinced that there is some basis to it that is in the body that makes me transgender. And it's not just like, oh, I wish I were a girl, so I'm going to be a girl, you know? And 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 the effect on my health of my medical transition just confirms that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was really really surprising to me, seeing just just how how much of a health issue um, it was for me. And this isn't just because now you could identify and present in accordance with what you felt who you were. This I mean, was I, actually. I think it's partly that. But it was like within within a couple of weeks before my body even really started to physically change, 
before, like I okay. still looked totally like a man and like people would still call me sir all the time, but it was like within weeks and, and my surgery, I had what we call in the trans community bottom surgery. There's top surgery on your chest and then there's bottom surgery on the stuff below. Um, and after I had my bottom surgery, I stopped taking two of my three mental health medications because I just don't need them anymore, including a bipolar medication. My psychiatrist said, you clearly don't need this anymore. Oh, wow. um, and uh, so let me just, so you got rid of body parts that produced hormones, male hormones so, for the bottom surgery? I, I mean, you don't have to like go yeah. into detail. That um, well, I, I so just tell me, tell me if you want to skip like, any question. Okay. I appreciate that. Um, this was another thing that really surprised me. I had thought that basically what the surgery is, is like chopping off body parts and then maybe having like uh, a transplant or something. But I didn't realize that actually what I had before was transformed into what I have now. It was this really, really intensive procedure, really complicated. And now what I have is like, like looking, looking at it, you wouldn't know the difference, whether I'd been born with this or not born with this. Um, I've got all the parts down there that people who are assigned female at birth have. Um, I don't have, I mean, I have a prostate. It's probably like the size of a pea now because it's shrunk. Because the hormones have been... Yeah, but I I don't have any of the other stuff that I used to have. And it's... It's amazing. I mean, I I cried the first time I saw my new body parts down there. I cried and I prayed. I mean, I, I said these prayers, which are all about thanksgiving and gratitude and awe and wonder... And I mean, it was off, it, it was a really hard recovery. I was on bed rest for three months. Ooh. And even now I have physical therapy I have to do three times a day um, for a whole year after the surgery, but it was so worth it. You know, like I, I, I am still taking one of my mental health medications on a lower dose, but of the three that I was taking, I'm only taking one now. And I, it was so healing. Mm. And, I, you, I, and these I, were tears of joy? Oh, yes. Tears of joy. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a miracle. It mm. was absolutely a miracle. So, okay. So this is fascinating. And, um, but now I want to get in your story because yeah. this is sort of technical technicalities. So that you know, beginners like me can understand sort of your story. But now let's get into the identity loss story. Yeah, more, more juicily. So, so you already, you already said that you were, uh, you know, you were a Jewish man. You're a Jewish woman in a man's body. And things weren't matching up with who you were and then and so at what point did you start us off of how you like 
what happened when you actually really realized yeah this surprise because you told me that you were surprised i was really surprised like you're going on in life and then this catalyst happens what is the catalyst and it's, it's what was so that experience hard because i mean i can tell you what the catalyst was like what was the moment I first realized I might be trans? But hold on, hold totally on, because okay, so hold on. I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah. sometimes the catalyst isn't one event. It's like right. over time. It's like exactly. especially like like domestic right. violence. It happens over time, and over that time, a person loses their identity to manage living in this environment. So I don't mean by a catalyst it has to be one moment in time. I think it was a variety of things. And I didn't understand this at the time. At the time, I thought it was like this one event and it completely confused me. Now I've been looking back on it and I see all of these other things that were going on in my life. So bring us to that moment. Yeah. So I never felt a strong connection with masculinity. I accepted that I was a man because, well, that's what I thought that I was. And when I got married, I married a woman who was in rabbinical school, starting to become a rabbi. And it's only a few decades that women have been ordained as rabbis. And it's only very recently that gay men have been, openly gay men have been ordained as rabbis. And so the idea of there being the rabbi's husband was a really unusual thing 10 years ago. And it became a huge part of my identity. I, I didn't identify with masculinity. I didn't identify as a man, but I would organize support groups for other men who were married to Jewish clergy. And, and this is in Israel. Or this is in Israel. This was in New York. This was in, I mean, we lived in a lot of places. Okay. My ex ended up getting her first pulpit in Rhode Island and people would tease me like they would say oh so what do we call you do we call you the rabbi's wife and there's a word the rabbitson is the word for the rabbi's wife and like do we call you the rabbitson and I'm like no I'm the rabbi's husband and I was very very intentional about it and I was proud that I was like doing this really unusual thing of being the husband of the rabbi and when our child was born I was the primary caretaker most of the time, and I was changing the diapers and taking our child to the playground and pushing the stroller and all of that. And I was very proud of the fact that I was a father who was doing this because there are, because it's such a gendered role. And to be a father doing that, it's like I was making a statement to the world. And a, so part of very, the identity. A very, a very necessary statement to the world. Yeah, and so part of the identity loss was that I had built up so much of my identity around being who I thought I was supposed to be in this world and doing all of these things, you know, as a man, because that's just how I was born. And then to lose all that and then to say, wait a minute, actually, I am the rabbi's wife, you know, and to say, well, actually, I am a mother, you know, changing diapers. Um, and, and wait, so wait, let's get into that. How did that happen? Well, I mean, it's just one piece of, 
of, of the puzzle, you know, I mean, there's this story of how I came out. Apparently I'm the first person in history to come out as a trans woman while married to a synagogue's rabbi. It was a big deal. Um, literally within 12 hours of my coming out, I had a Facebook message from a reporter asking to do a story about me. And, you know, that, that was a huge, a huge thing. And now I'm at this point where that was a couple of years ago. Wait, wait, I'm, wait, before you get to that point, yeah. I want to hear about the coming out. Like, mm -hmm. like when, like, so at some point you realized you're trans mm -hmm. and you told your wife that. Yeah. And you came out. Yeah. And so what, what happened there? It was, it was a process that coming out was the second hardest thing I've ever done in my life. The hardest thing was coming out to myself. So I struggled for a year and a half because mm -hmm. I didn't want to accept it. Right. And I so didn't want to accept it. I, I didn't know any of these words. Like I didn't know what, what non-binary is. I didn't know what bi-gender or agender or gender fluid or demigender. I didn't know any of these words. But I started looking up all these words because I didn't want to be transgender. So I thought, well, okay. So I was looking through all these words and I thought, well, maybe I might be agender. That means you don't have any gender at all. Cause like, I don't feel any connection with masculinity, but I can't be a woman because how could I possibly be a woman? Or I thought, well, maybe I'm bi-gender. That means I'm two genders because like I don't feel a connection with masculinity, but like look at my body. I feel a connection with femininity, but look at my body, you know? And, and so I like, I told my wife and I told my parents, I don't know what I am. Maybe I'm non-binary. Maybe I'm agender. Maybe I'm, who knows what I am, but I know one thing for sure, I am not a trans woman. And that was because I thought, when I thought of trans women, I thought that trans women were sex workers. I thought that trans women were cross-dressers. I thought that trans women were like super leftist radicals. I thought that trans women were like, you know, super hipsters with nose piercings and like wacky hair and like all these things. And I didn't see myself in any of that way. There's nothing wrong with any of that, but like, that wasn't me and I didn't want to be that. So I thought I, I could be any of these things, but I'm definitely not a trans woman. So for a year and a half, I really struggled with, with my identity. And, you know, there's, there's this common image that a lot of people have of like the little boy looking in a mirror and seeing a girl looking back, right? Mm -hmm. But when I looked in the mirror, I didn't see a woman looking back. I didn't see a girl looking back. I saw a stranger. I always saw a stranger in the mirror. Oh, ouch. You know, people like, a lot of people say, oh, they look, they don't, you know, like how they look in photos or something. But for me, it wasn't that. I, I knew that that had to be my reflection, but it just always looked like a stranger. And- Because uh, what was on the outside was not what was on the inside but I didn't know what was on the inside. Like I would have, I would try and imagine what should I look like? And I had no idea. There's this, there's this common phenomenon where trans women are transitioning. And then like all of a sudden one day we look in the mirror and there's a girl staring back, right? Or we look at a photo and there's a girl staring back and it can be very, very fleeting. But I remember that first time I was scrolling through my Facebook feed and a photo of me scrolled past. And I was like, wait, wait a minute. That was a woman in that photo. And then I looked again and it looked like a man to me. 
but um, for that fleeting moment, I saw myself. And now I look in the mirror and I see myself. This, this is me. This is surely the old me was always just a stranger. So, what did it, what did it feel like being a stranger to yourself all those years? It was, and, and how did you manage that? It was so weird. Um, sometimes I, I would have these weird dissociative moments when I didn't even feel human. I felt like I was just a machine going through the motions of life. I wrote a song about it in, in 2018 as I was struggling with my gender. I wrote this song about how no matter how I looked, whether I had long hair or short hair, whether I had a beard or I, or I was clean shaven, no matter how I looked, it never looked like me. And so I would look in the mirror and I would see this like whole community of me's and they're all wonderful me's just none of them is actually me. And it was, I mean, I was so depressed. I was so successful on the outside. I was really happy. And if you'd asked anybody, I think they would tell you that I was a very happy, successful person, but I was miserable, really miserable. And now, I mean, I have some stress in my life. I mean, this is another stereotype. People say that trans women and trans men, that trans people transition to be happy. I didn't transition to be happy. I transitioned to be myself. And just like most human beings, sometimes I'm sad, sometimes I'm stressed, sometimes I'm worried, sometimes I'm upset. Um, transition and get rid of all of that because those are human emotions. Right. Right. But now when I'm sad, I'm sad as, as me, as the woman that I am. You know, when I'm upset, I'm upset, but at least I'm upset as the woman that I am. But on the whole, I had no idea that it was possible to be this happy. I go to bed every night thinking to myself, wow, I am so happy. And I never knew that it was possible to not be depressed. I never knew it was possible to not live with anxiety, but it is, you know. At what age do you, did you start um, being depressed and anxious? I think it really started in graduate school, well, which is a late. part of the story. Graduate school. The graduate school can depress and anxietyize anybody. <laughs> it, it destroys a lot of people. And for me, a huge part, I think graduate school is a huge part of my transgender journey because I became so disillusioned with academia when I was in graduate school. And I became so disillusioned with the concept of objective truth because I saw as a graduate student, all these things I took for life for granted in life that just aren't true. Mm -hmm. I never realized how much ideology- Belief systems. So much and systems and everything. Mm -hmm. And I just, it, it really, really challenged so much of what I believed to be true. And when, as we say in the trans community, when my egg cracked, that's some trans slang for you, when my egg cracked and I realized I might be trans and then I was really actively struggling and I realized, you know, if society got something as big as my gender wrong all of these years, what else did society get wrong? And I start to question everything and graduate school had really prepared me for that to question everything, but really like 
everything. Like, you know, if, if, if something as basic as my gender was wrong all these years, then how can I trust anything that I was taught? How can I trust anything that I believed before? And but your world wasn't only upside down, it was inside out. It was shattered. It was shattered. It was shattered. You know, there's, um, there's another bit of trans slang. Uh, we sometimes refer to our former names as our dead names. And I never connected with that. Um, I thought, you know, I'm still the same person. In fact, one of a trans person who deeply inspired me even years before I realized I'm trans was a rabbi named Rabbi Becky Silverstein. And one of the things I really admired and still admire about him is that when he transitioned, he kept his name as Becky. And he said, I'm still Becky. I'm still the same person. It's just, I'm a man, not a woman. And so I thought the same way about myself. I'm not a different person. The old me didn't die, but, but there was one night, this was about six months after coming out. It was late at night and some stuff had happened during the day that I don't want to talk about on a podcast. And I was sitting at my piano <coughs> playing through music from Frozen 2. And I don't know if you've ever seen Frozen 2, mm -mm. but there is a song in Frozen 2, which is the most poignant expression of grief I have ever heard or seen mm -hmm. in a Disney movie. It is so powerful. And I was, it was like midnight, it was after midnight. I was sitting in this dark, dark room, playing it on the piano and singing it. And I began to feel that the old me had died. And I sat down on Facebook and I wrote a eulogy for myself, for my old self. Okay. And I, it, it was awful because I remember the old me. I know the old me's fears and dreams. And the old me, I can tell you that one of his greatest fears, maybe his greatest fear was that he would die and be forgotten and nobody would care. You know, that life would just go on. And what was so painful in that moment was that I felt like the old me had died and I didn't care. In fact, I was happy about it. Good riddance, you know? And that was so painful. I mean, how many people get to write a eulogy for themselves? How many people get to like die and then see what their life is like after that and like look back on it and see how the world reacted to their death, right? Like that's how I felt in that moment was that I was looking back on this life that I had that had ended and I had been reborn as this new person, but I know I'm the same person, you know, but it feels so different. I was living with a mask before, you know, like if you've ever seen the Jim Carrey movie, The Mask, you know, there's this line in the beginning where the psychologist is talking about how everybody wears a mask, right? Mm -hmm. I was wearing a mask my whole life. It was the man mask with like a huge beard and everything. And I lived my life in fear of just being myself. And now I, I'm me, you know, I'm myself. And, you know, I was always super prudish. And so I never would have said this before, but like, I don't give a shit if people don't like me anymore. You know, like I never swore when I was in high school, I could count on one hand the number of times I'd ever uttered a swear word in my life. And like, mm -hmm. I 
I, I don't give a shit if anybody doesn't like me now. I'm just so confident and I'm so alive and I'm so myself and it's, and I'm like a totally different person. You know, I think if you had known me several years ago, you wouldn't recognize me today. I'm, I'm that different. So give, give us the, the before and the after snapshots. <laughs> so before I was like this super prudish <laughs> traditional, you know, like just trying to be the nice Jewish boy and do and follow all the rules. I was the rule follower. But I mean, I was also like, I, I think I had kind of an incredible life too. I mean, I was a scholar. I was driven by purpose in my research. I was. Um, and what did you study? About obscure. I, I was a music historian. Okay. And I was writing about these Jewish, Russian Jewish composers from the early 20th century who were trying to compose specifically Jewish classical music, the way that Tchaikovsky wrote Russian music and Bartok wrote Hungarian music and Grieg wrote Norwegian music. And I was discovering these obscure composers and I became like the world expert in Joseph Achron, who was one of these composers. And I was uh, also super into Yiddish, the Yiddish language, which is a Jewish language. Um, it's different from Hebrew. Um, Hebrew is an ancient Jewish language, Semitic. Yiddish is a fusion Germanic language with lots of Slavic elements in it. And I learned Yiddish as an adult and that became a huge part of my identity. And I was raising my child in Yiddish. And, um, and so now I, um, I mean, I also, I believed that there was a path in life for me. Like, I didn't believe that other people had to follow one path, but my path was, you know, you go to school, you get your PhD, you get married, you buy a house, you have a kid, <laughs> you know, like I was checking off all of those boxes because I thought that that's what success was. And now, um, now I'm single, I'm not married anymore. And I'm living in this tiny apartment. I'm struggling every month is a struggle to pay my bills. I've left academia, though life is full of surprises. In this semester, I'm actually teaching at a university again as an adjunct, teaching classical music history. Oh, yay. Um, but I'm a Yiddish empowerment coach. I empower Yiddish students of all levels to not just learn the language, but to actually use it with confidence, with courage, as a meaningful part of their daily lives. I am a omnisexual transgender orthodox woman. Never thought I would say that. Um, what, what does omnisexual mean? Omnisexual means that I am attracted to all genders. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of people um, think that there are two genders, right? There are men and there are women, but there are many genders out there. And this was all news to me in the last few years. Um, <laughs> so omnisexual means that I'm attracted to all genders but it's not because like gender doesn't matter to me. Like I'm, I'm attracted to men for very different reasons and I'm attracted to women and, and so on and so forth. But um, it's one of these new words that was invented because the older words just don't really fit. I mean, sexuality like gender, sexuality is so complex and 
I always thought that I'm just like, I'm a straight man, you know, I'm a man, I'm attracted to women, that's it. And I never was attracted to men, never could have imagined being attracted to men. When I was going through puberty, I remember thinking to myself, if I were born as a girl, I would definitely be a lesbian because I don't know how anybody can be attracted to men. And then I transitioned and I went on hormones and all these things. And like, all of a sudden my sexual orientation has changed. And that was a real struggle for me to figure out, wait, so I'm not like, so when I, when I came out, being a lesbian was a huge part of my identity. I am a woman attracted exclusively to women. And then I realized, wait a minute, why am I like dreaming about men now? And like finding myself super attracted to men. Maybe I'm bisexual. And then I realized, well, bisexual doesn't really fit me. Maybe I'm pansexual. Well, that's not quite right either. Maybe I'm omnisexual. And, you know, maybe like I'm an omnisexual lesbian or, you know, all these different words exist because sexuality is so complex and my sexuality changed over the last few years. And um, so I had to find a label <laughs> to, to actually understand what I it know, is. I know, yeah. let's see, it was like 1990. Six, let's see, two. Around 1998, I, I was studying to get my license in clinical social work. Yeah. And so before you could like take the written exam, then you had to like have certain classes. And one of them was human sexuality. Yeah. And so I lived in Berkeley, California. And so I went to San Francisco for that class. And it was so eye-opening because they talked about a spectrum of sexuality and yeah. that at one end, you're mm. heterosexual, uh, like kind of a hundred percent. And at the other end, you're homosexual kind of a hundred percent, but there's all these different places on that spectrum where you can land. And, yeah. and one of the people who talked in that class, she says, you know, I'm bisexual, but I happen to be married to a man it's mm -hmm. not that I'm not attracted to women. I am, but I just decided to be married to this one person who is a man. And, <laughs> and I was just like, oh man, man, yeah. this is, um, this, this is and complicated. You know, and so this was in 98. So I'm sure what you're talking about has been 98 was 24 years ago and revamped. It's, I mean, it, it's not even a spectrum you know, like, yeah, it sort of goes off in all different, it's, it's like a hologram this, or something. It's like a hologram. Yeah. It's like this whole <laughs> web and it's like, you've got this little squiggly over here and then you've got this little squiggly over here. And, um, I mean, our understanding of human sexuality, it's not about like wokeness. It's not about liberalness. It's about science and about realizing that sexuality is really, really, really complicated. And gender is really, really, really complicated. And way, way more than even 20 years ago, people realized. Even in the last 10 years, so much has changed. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if you look at the terminology that's been used back in the 90s when I was growing up, people talked about sex change operations. And then it was like, sex reassignment surgeries, and then it was sex realignment surgeries, and then it was gender reassignment surgeries and gender realignment surgeries, and now it's gender affirmation surgeries, right? There was just this, this conversation on Twitter that was happening. Somebody asked trans people, how do you feel about the word transsexual? You know, in the 90s when I was growing up, like it was just transsexuals. Um, 
but I would never call myself a transsexual. I'm transgender. And, you know, they're like 15 years ago, 10 years ago, trans woman would be a single word, but now it's two words, right? Trans is just an adjective. I'm a woman. I'm a trans woman. I'm a Jewish woman. I'm an American woman, right? So like even the terms have been changing so much over the last 20 years because people have been realizing that this is all so complicated. And as enlightened as we thought we were 20 years ago, yeah. um, there was so much we didn't know that we know today. And the truth is, as much as we know today, there's a lot we don't know. And 20 years from now, we're going to know a lot more that we don't know now. Um, and, and trying to suppress these discussions is not going to change the fact no, that this absolutely. is reality. And um, I, I, this isn't, you know, this, this program is about identity transition, but right. because, you know, this is such an important and interesting topic that I don't get to talk about very often, I am, you know, wanting to know more about this Yeah. as far as transgender as a topic. And so this whole idea of suppression and people getting angry over these discussions i mean yeah what is that all about and how does that impact a person's let's go back to identity it's like you're you're just trying to be you god damn it yeah I and mean, and you know, and you're just like so attacked people, so many people are so caught up on basic science you know people say basic science man woman penis vagina right like xx chromosomes xy chromosomes right basic science well yes that's basic science basic. when we talk about the advanced science we realize it's so much more complex it's like you know basic science there are solids liquids and gases but actually there are some substances on earth that are both a solid and a liquid or things that are like simultaneously a liquid and a gas um that's advanced science or like people say oh you know basic math numbers wait a minute you can use letters in math no basic math it's numbers but of course you can use letters right like that's the thing about it is so many people are stuck on the basic science and they just can't move beyond that and i think combined with so i think that's part of the problem is that people think that all this trans stuff is just like totally made up and totally imaginary because it doesn't fit with this very simplistic, very elementary, very basic um, scientific understanding that so many people have. I think also part of the problem is that there's so many myths and especially because people don't talk about it, people wonder about it. And so they come up with guesses like, yeah. ooh, what did trans women's genitals look like? Oh, how do they have sex? Like, why do they do all this in the first place? And so people come up with these guesses that turn into myths and stereotypes. And, and, I, think that the, and, and, and I think that that's where a lot of this uh, tension is coming from. And for me, I'm very, very open about my transition I've written extensively on social media, really, really intimate details. I mean, you know, I've been like a lot of trans people, I've been doxxed and I- Which I've, means, which means what which for the audience? People like 
pe people uncovering really private information about me and then sharing it on the internet. Against your will, without Against your permission. Um, I mean, I've, I've been so- Just to be mean. Haters. Mean. Yeah, haters. I mean, I've been, I've been so open about my transition. I'll be honest. I, after I had my surgery, I took photos of my new body parts and I labeled them like medical diagrams. And, you know, every few weeks I would take new photos and I would show like, here's what's changing and, and so on and so forth. And I shared that with a very private group and for, for mm -hmm. educational purposes to educate mm -hmm. people, say, you know, this is really what's going on. And then, you know, somebody infiltrated my private group and broke my trust. And now all those photos are in a hate forum and they're oh, all fucking me. But like, the point is that I have been really, really open about my transition, even to the point of literally sharing photos of my genitals on the internet, because there are so many myths. And I really want to help people break those myths. There's so many stereotypes. And I really want to help people understand that the stereotypes aren't true. I got into a lot of trouble, actually, because about a year ago, actually almost exactly a year ago, there's a new magazine that came out. It's, it's a lifestyle magazine for Orthodox Jewish women. And at the request of, of the editor-in-chief, I wrote a monthly column about being an Orthodox trans woman. And I, I wrote seven articles for them. And the magazine got banned in multiple oh. communities. And I got so much harassment for it. And all oh, sorts God. of rumors, as, as we say in Hebrew, all sorts of lush and hara, all sorts of like really wicked gossip about me was spreading on the internet. And people would ask, you know, if you're an Orthodox woman, that means that you're, you're modest and like you don't show off your body and you don't talk about these private things. Why are you doing this? And the answer is because people need to know, because people need to understand, even if people don't agree, I, I at least want them to be forming their opinions of me based on actual information and not just based on myths and stereotypes. And, and that's why I think that these bills trying to ban discussion of all of this, it's so dangerous because what it's doing is it's keeping people in the dark. Yeah. It's keeping people ignorant. It's preventing people from actually learning, okay, what actually is this? You know, so many people get their information about what it means to be transgender from transphobic sources, just right. as many people get their information about what it means to be gay from homophobic sources, just as a lot of people even today get their information about what it means to be Jewish from anti-Semitic sources. And um, the bills aren't going to make us go away. You know, it's like right. yeah. beating people for being left-handed didn't make people not left-handed. Right. Um, now let me let me move let me move this back to identity. Mm -hmm. How is it? And and I and I honor you and respect that you are doing this public awareness campaign. Yeah. And at the same time, what would it be like if you could just live your life and not have that be the center of? Oh. of conversation that would be amazing i mean i i didn't choose to be trans and i didn't choose to be a role model 
I mean, I guess they chose to be a role model in the sense that I could have decided not to be, but I felt like I had this almost like an ethical obligation to be a role model. And so that's who I am. And I'll be honest, there's part of me that loves the attention. I always wondered what it would be like to be famous and popular. And, you know, now I know. And it's, you know, not always as great as I imagined it to be. You definitely have supporters and haters when you're I famous and popular. So many supporters, so many haters. I mean, I was literally, I was in the, the emergency room last December, a few weeks after my surgery. I had massive vaginal bleeding and I was in the ER and I was getting blood transfusions. And literally there were strangers mm. on Twitter cheering saying that they were, they were hoping and praying that I would die ER and like, yeah. And like that I would die. And like, I don't know these people. (laughs) I never talked to these people. And here they are cheering that I'm in the ER getting blood transfusions after having major blood loss. You know, it's so cruel. I have, but, but I have changed so many people's lives for the better. Even sometimes realizing it, you know, I've gotten, I once created a poster on my wall with fan mail that I would get that fan mail on Twitter and on Facebook. People would just write to me and tell me how inspiring I was and how much I changed them. I remember one woman writing to me saying that she used to be so transphobic. She like totally opposed trans women using women's bathrooms. But then after following my, not even talking with me, but after just reading my tweets Mm -hmm. for some months, she realized that I'm not like the man who raped her, you know, like I'm not like the men who are sexual predators. I'm just a woman. And now she is totally comfortable with trans women in women's bathrooms. If we lived near each other, she would invite me over for a girl's night, you know, and like just, just by existing online in this open way, people are seeing that I'm not the monster that so many people think that I am. And I can't tell you how many trans people have written to me saying, you know, I'm like, I'm really scared. I don't know what I'm doing. I think I might be trans. I'm not sure. And now they're like, they're, they're amazing, you know, and just by living my life, I inspire so many people. And so, yeah, sometimes I wish that my life were less public. Um, sometimes I wish that I were just, you know, just a normal girl, you know, living my own life. But I don't know. It's it, it hasn't been easy being this role model. It's been sometimes very scary. But it's but it's really important. You know, I had I had my role models. You know, there were those people who inspired me and empowered me. And now I get to be that person for other people and they'll go on to be that person for other people. And, um, you know. Thank you for that. And so just because the, you know, for the podcast, they're not seeing, like we're on Zoom and I'm looking at you. and, And so just for the people who aren't seeing you, if I saw you on the street, I would think you're a woman and but that's not the case with all trans people sometimes you can kind of tell and so then then there's the stereotypes kick in 
yeah. more severely. And, and it's so, really hard, especially with my voice. You know, my I'm getting to this point now where sometimes, like if I'm on the phone with my credit card company, sometimes they'll call me ma'am and sometimes they'll call me sir. Mm -hmm. um, but vi visually, I mean, I I totally look like a woman now. Um, the lingo is I pass. Um, <laughs> my voice, I'm still working on it. I'm still working on feminizing my voice. That's been really, really, really hard for me. Um, also really fascinating as a music scholar, feminizing my voice. But yeah, I mean, it's, there, there, there is some uh, disagreement within the trans community about this whole business of passing, right? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? And there are trans people who say, no, like if somebody sees you and they think that you're a cisgender woman, cisgender meaning not transgender, like you're, you're hiding yourself, you're hiding your transness, you're a trans person, be proud of that. But for me, it's exactly the opposite. If somebody sees me on the street and they see me as a woman, they're seeing me, right? Because I am a woman. And for the first time in my life, they're actually seeing me for who I am. And yeah, I'm trans, but like, okay, so maybe people can't tell that I'm trans. Maybe they can't tell that I'm Jewish. Maybe they can't tell that I'm American. You know, people have thought plenty of times that I'm not American based on how I look. You know, there's lots of things people may not know about me, but if they see me as a woman, like, like I, I am. And when people call me sir on the phone, it is so painful. I, I think I'm at this point now where I can let go. And I realize, you know, I know who I am. It's them, not you. It's them, it's not me. And there are a lot of women who are cisgender women, meaning they're not, meaning they they were assigned female at birth, they were raised as girls. And sometimes they get called sir on the phone too, because lots of women have deep voices. Right. Like mine. But, you know, there was a time in my transition when if somebody called me sir, it could totally destroy the rest of my day for me. Mm. Maybe the next day too. On the other hand, going out in public and being called ma'am or being called miss, that could completely brighten my day for an entire, that could totally brighten my whole week. You know, the, the euphoria from, from that experience, you know, and like, there's part of me that feels like, why should any of this matter? Mm -hmm. But it does, it does. The, the pain of being misgendered is so real. And the, the euphoria, it's not just happy. It's like relief, you know, of those, like those tears of relief. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm Absolutely. so happy you got to this point. Thank you. Yeah, me too. It it has it has not been easy. It has been What's yeah, been what was the hardest been, the hardest part? The hardest There were so many. I mean top 3. So so basically because of the hormone therapy I went through puberty again in the trans oh god <laughs> puberty except this time it was puberty driven by estrogen rather than testosterone and it completely changed my whole body i mean the texture of my skin the texture of my hair even the smell of my body our cats noticed before anybody else did 
my my emotions, everything completely changed. My sexuality changed. And I even like, I don't have a uterus, but apparently my hormones don't know that because I've had periods, like not with the bleeding because I don't have a uterus, but I've gotten the bloating and the, the intestinal cramps and the mood swings and the fatigue and the intense food cravings. Welcome um, to womanhood. <laughs> I, I realized... I, I, I joined this group for women who are trying to lose weight. And I was like, I don't get it. Why can I not lose weight? It used to be so easy for me to lose weight. And they were like, girl, it's the estrogen, <laughs> you know, the estrogen changed my metabolism and mm -hmm. it's so hard for me to lose weight now. So I think just like, I mean, second puberty is so many different things, but just going through puberty again. I was never a, really a rebellious teenager um, until I got to my 30s and gender transitioned. And then I became a rebellious teenage girl, um, basically. Um, so that was really hard for me. Um, preparing for, for the, the, the physically medical stuff, preparing for surgery, I had to remove all the hair from that area of my body. And so for over a year, I went every week literally to have my private parts electrocuted so that the hair would fall out and not grow back so that I could have surgery. And that was so painful and it was so expensive. And the recovery from surgery was really physically painful as well. So I would say that's been really hard and, and the confusion over my sexuality. As I said, being only attracted to women was such a huge part of my identity. And then realizing like, wait a minute, I'm actually attracted to men now. And sometimes maybe even more than I'm attracted to women. Like that was such a huge identity shift for me and I wasn't expecting it um, at all. So that was really, really hard for me, especially because after my divorce, I was single again and I was starting to date again, except I was starting to date as a lesbian, right? And all of a sudden the women I was looking to date were women who were attracted to women, not women who are attracted to men. And then when I started trying to date men as a woman, right? Not as a gay man, but as, as a woman, it was really, really scary. And I never really dated much before when I was younger. I didn't really know what this whole dating thing is about anyways, but I never thought that I would date as a lesbian, you know, and like be on a date with a lesbian who would go on and on about how she's not attracted to men. And then I'd say, well, I'm trans. Is that okay with you? And she'd be like, yeah, that's totally fine. I don't care that you're trans. Um, you know, you're not a man, you're a woman. Like that was a huge identity thing for me. So yeah, I would say second puberty, the physically, the physical medical stuff with hair removal and surgery and then the changing sexuality, those are like the three big, big things that were really hard for me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. This is so informative. And what was the, what was the, the through line of courage and perseverance and chutzpah? Yeah. I don't know what that word means, but is that the right word to use? To, so it was like guts. Okay. Yeah. To, to get through all of that, where did you 
What inner, where did you pull these inner resources from? Because the to. outside world didn't give it to you. Because I needed to. I mean, that's what it really boiled down to was that I could fight this all I wanted. But at the end of the day, this is who I am. And this is what I am. And I didn't need to transition because other people told me that I needed to. I needed to transition because that is what I needed to do. And so I did it. And I, I was able to do it, I think, not just because of my courage. I really, my family was so supportive of mm. me throughout my entire transition. Oh, that's good. Even, even my former spouse, you know, we're not married anymore, but she is so supportive of my gender transition. And I know so many trans people who are so abused by their families and it's horrible. I know so many trans people who lose so many friends who lose their jobs. And yeah, I lost some friends too, but I have had such a supportive network of friends and my friendships, particularly with other women have deepened so much. And I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for the support of my family and friends. I mean, I, I, I think I would have survived, but the support that I had from family and friends was so crucial to, to my success with my transition. And I'm, I'm so grateful every day. I count my blessings. Yeah. I don't take it for granted. Totally not. So while we, before we wrap it or as we wrap it up, yeah. so what would you suggest to people who don't have that kind of support? I would say there are people out there who will support you, who will care about you. And it may be hard to find them, but nowadays it's easier than ever. You know, I when I was in the closet, I created a Twitter account as Shuli Elisheva. And it was secret. Nobody could know that I was Shuli Elisheva. But that was an opportunity for me to reach out and meet other trans people. I had no idea there were so many trans people and I followed them on Twitter and I got to know them and not just for gender stuff, but like people just post about like what they were eating for dinner and people would post about like work stuff and family stuff. And, 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 and so I would say, you know, find other trans people who will support you, find them on Twitter, find them on Facebook in Facebook support groups the people are out there and um also it, it really sucks when your family doesn't support you really really sucks when your friends and colleagues don't support you and it's not your fault it's it's not your fault if people mistreat you but there are people out there who are your people and 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 that you can't you can't force people to treat you differently no i i think also I think it's important to keep in mind that when we come out as transgender, it's not just a transition for us. Yeah. It's a transition for our families. It's a transition for our friends. It's a transition for everybody who knows us. You know, if, if you come out as gay or lesbian, yes, that can be a really hard and scary thing and, and you can get a lot of harassment for it. But when you come out as transgender, your pronouns, are changing and your name might be changing 
and you your know, looks your looks are you know might be changing and your so dress are changing how you dress how you talk um i mean my voice is totally different than what it used to be how i look is totally different you would never ever know from looking at old photos of me this is the same person and it's really hard on on the family and sometimes friends and family will accidentally call you by the wrong pronouns or they'll accidentally call you by, I mean, I'm trans and sometimes I accidentally call other trans people by the wrong pronouns, even when I know what their pronouns are because I'm human and I make mistakes. And so I think to a certain extent, it's important to have some compassion for family and friends who are going through this journey, but, but, but also sometimes no matter how good you are and how um, understanding you are sometimes there just are really bad people in your life and there's nothing you can do about that and so you reach out and you meet other people and so many trans people have what they call their chosen family mm -hmm. um, you know and so many trans people will refer to each other as you know siblings because you know when nobody else has our backs we have each other Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. even in the non-trans community, we choose our our non-blood yeah. family. Some Definitely. of us. Mm. Well, what um before we end, what yeah. what takeaways or what else do you want to say? And I want to hear about your book, and then of course how people yeah. can find you online. Yeah. So I um so so we met because we were in this author training program, both working on our books. And I had a contract with a publisher for my memoir. I ended up um, canceling that contract because this just isn't the right time for me. Um, okay. I'm really busy and I have a lot of financial stress in particular in my life. So I do intend to complete my memoir. And I do intend to publish it. I'm not sure when that's going to be at this point. And what's the working um, title? The working title is Who Made Me a Woman? My Journey as an Orthodox Jewish Transgender Woman. And the, the title is, is a very intellectual play on words. Um, who, who Made Me a Woman is part of well, that, that's a whole story. It's, it's a question, it's an answer, it's part of a prayer, it's the, the, the undermining of a prayer. It's, that's really a whole conversation about the title, but um, someday that will come out. In the meantime, you can find me on social media. I am at Shuli Elisheva on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Um, and I, um, as I mentioned, I've written, uh, a number of articles for Unorthodoxed, which is an Orthodox women's magazine. And you're welcome to find my articles there if you go to unorthodox.com slash authors slash Shuli Elisheva. We're gonna um, have all this in your bio. Yeah, you can find all my articles that I've written there about being transgender. And, um, and if you're interested in non-trans aspects of my life, you can also visit useyiddishwithshuli.com that's my website as a Yiddish empowerment coach. And um, if you're interested in learning Yiddish or using Yiddish, um, I'd be delighted to hear from you. And if you're struggling with your gender, you can reach out to me. If you know somebody who's struggling with their gender and you're struggling with the fact that they're struggling with their gender, you can reach out to me. 
you can contact me through my website or through social media at Shuli Elisheva. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, Shuli. Welcome. You, Thank you for having me here. Yeah, I just can't wait to see you just even give more. You have so much to give and to to you know broaden your reach with your book when you have when when is the right time to to yeah. publish that and to you know stand up for human rights of just being able to be who you are regardless of labels regardless of people's ideologies regardless yeah. of people's prejudices and just you know working to to promote basically yeah what would it call isn't there a hashtag humanism or something right now could be i, I don't know there's, there's some hashtag that i gotta remember because that's what i'm into too is just like treating people with with respect and dignity yeah and, yeah. and allowing for difference yeah and I, I would also say that um, my I, I'm not sure when my book is going to come out, but if anybody's listening to this podcast and would like to have me come and talk in your community, I am very happy to discuss with you possibilities for coming and talking to your community. If anybody else has podcasts, I'm happy to speak on podcasts because this is this is really really important, and and I can't stress enough how important it is for people to actually meet somebody who's transgender and actually hear from somebody who's transgender what it means for them to be transgender um, and not just rely on people who don't know what it's like. On hearsay, and you're so articulate that it's, it's super powerful. You can make workshops in person, you know, mm -hmm. evergreen online. Yeah. Okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna hang it up so that that our guests don't get tired of me going on and on with more digging further. So thank you so much. And this has been Julie Brown on Bold Becoming. Hey there. The value that you got from this today, take it into your heart. Add value to it in your own life by putting it into practice and growing it to be part of your life your daily habits, the takeaways that you got from this. Words and thoughts only take us so far. It's implementing on those words and thoughts that will change your life. Ideas are just ideas. Taking action on ideas is where growth happens and freedom emerges from growth. Freedom from our past invisible binding. We're here to grow and release ourselves from our past constraints. With awareness, intention, and through taking action on new choices, we evolve. In this process, we exalt our pain and suffering into wisdom that empowers us. We all have the ability to transform and become that person we yearn to be. If today's episode added value to your life, please share it with others and make sure to subscribe to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. And if you might, take a minute right now and leave a review so that others can find out about this podcast. If you'd like to contact me for one-on-one -on -one coaching, 
or to get on the wait list for my Tough Stories workshop, send me an email and we'll be in touch. Be sure to check out our free Facebook group of Bold Becomers. The link's in the show notes.